Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study on the disciplines of the believer's life, Pastor Murphy showed us that in order for the believer to develop godliness, he must exercise himself in several Christian disciplines. Today we'll see areas where the believer may need to sacrifice for discipline and some of the problems motivating believers to discipline. Turn your Bibles when you place to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll be reading from verse number 7 and verse number 8 of this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's read from verse number 7 and verse number 8. Verse 7 reads, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So I want to say to you this morning that we are not going to have any change in our lives. We're not going to be able to pursue godliness except we, we settle in our mind is going to require effort and sweat and work. And how many people you know are disposed to that? Well, Pastor, I, I came here this morning for you to just tell me three easy steps to godliness. One, two, three, Pastor. I'm pressed till you got it. I didn't come here for you to tell me that my problem is indiscipline. I didn't come here for you to chide me to tell me that I, I, I lack drive in my life and I need to, to, to do certain things. That's what I come here for. I came here to be uplifted. Well, I can tell you a lot of nice things about you, sir. You'll be uplifted, but tomorrow you're downlifted. So I help you. See, I want to give you something to tell you. Listen, I, we want not. We just don't want immediate change and instant change. We want lasting, long-term transformational change. But the problem is, we always settle for the immediate. We never seem to make it in our particular life. So, my point is that there's no quick, easy, effortless formula for godliness. And that if we are going to become godly, there are certain classical disciplines that we have to incorporate into our lives. And we'll, we'll, I, I intend to deal with each one of these, by the way. I intend to deal with uh, prayer, meditation, how to study the Bible, uh, how to do self-examination. Uh, believe it or not, Sister Andy, you can even do a, a boat on fasting. But, you know, when I, when I preach on these things, I have an altar call, you know. I want to know who's serious in this church. I want to know if you're really going to say to the pastor, look, I am saying to you, this is a journey we're going to take together. That's what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying it's for you, it's for me too. And I'm saying, I'm calling upon the church, listen, let us together band ourselves together in the pursuit of godliness. And this is what we are going to do as a church. If we commit ourselves to praying daily... We're going to pray daily. And we're going to hold each other accountable. So I'm going to link myself with somebody. And he's going to call me. I'm going to call him. And I said, Brother Robert, did you pray today? 
He said, Pastor, I said, Brother, let's pray right now. See? And I will tell you that it will come to the point where he, keeps, he don't want to hear me call him anymore. So I don't have to ask him, Brother Robert, did you pray? He said, Pastor, I prayed long before you call. And he will do that to me as well. But these are things, listen, I told you it's going to take six weeks. There's not an easy journey, brethren. There's a journey in earnest, but we've got to do it if we really want change. Let me ask you a question. If this church is over 35 years, and the people here in this congregation have not been praying regularly, have not been reading the Bible regularly, have not been meditating, have not been fasting any, have not been self you expect in one day this church can change? So we have to commit ourselves. And I, I listen, I, I hope you are serious as I am serious, okay? I'm tired of mediocrity, tired of shallowness. I'm tired of this, this uh, hip-hop Christianity. So one of the words, that, one of the key words that are going to be vitally important in holding towards discipline is the word sacrifice. And you know what you're going to have to do? We're going to have to do a cost-benefit analysis. And what I mean by that, we're going to have to decide if the benefit is worth the cost. We've got to decide that. Because could I say to you that if we are going to pursue godliness and we're going to exercise ourselves on the godliness it means that we are going to be be willing to give up something. Ah, that's where the bite comes in now. If we didn't have to give up anything, boy, we'll rush into it. But the moment you begin to talk about giving up something, to making some kind of sacrifice, people turn off. Look, you're going to have to take some of that time that you waste on the television. On the idiot box playing these silly games. See? You are going to have to decide. I have to cut out some of that. Now I didn't say cut out all of it, you know. There's a time for a person have to have some enjoyment. I'm not just... But what I'm... We've got too much of that. We've gone to the other extreme. So we have to decide that. We have to cut out some of the television. Cut out some of these games that we play. By the way, I thought it was only young boys addicted to these computer games, you know. You'd be shocked how many adult men addicted to these things. How much time they waste on these things. They're as addicted as a drug addict. Kill so much time. And I'm saying to you, you might have to sacrifice some time. And then you might have to sacrifice some of your interests. What's your interest? What's your, what's your hobby? What do you like to do a lot of? Look, uh, I think, I don't have to say this. But you know what? I like doing two things as my, my hobby. My hobby is taking down a small engine, putting it back together. And I am fascinated with electronics. So I find that those are two things that can be a distraction for me as a pastor. Brother Nathan gave me two non-functioning um, generators that they had at the, the place over there. And he knows I get into the small. He said, Pastor, I said, yeah, bring them up there. When you brought them, brother? October. October. You know what, 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 what we in now? You don't even touch them yet? I ain't touched them yet. But let me tell you, every day I see them, they fascinate me. I need to fix this thing. But I, I realized one thing, this, is a, this, this could be a distraction for me. 
If a fan gets damaged at home, I go down to the fan. I want to solve the problem with the fan. If I got a torchlight and if I want to find out why it's not working, I want to fix that. But you know what? I've had to abandon those hobbies in the interest of church work. In the issue of my own, own, own spiritual life. I, I can't, I gotta be studying. I can't be taking off small. I gotta be studying. If I come into this pub and I don't study, you'll know. I don't wanna come here and rattle a plate and all they keep is noise. I wanna make sure there's some food there, sir. See? And that requires that some things I would have legitimate reasons for doing, I can't do. I want, but I can't do because I have to make this sacrifice, which is more important. And by the way, I don't have to say this, but you know, most of my time is not, most of my work that I do in church is not down here, you know. It's when you're sleeping and you're snoring. Believe it, I'm, I'm telling you. I hardly get to sleep before three o'clock in the morning. And all I'm doing is, is, is studying. I've got to get the word. I've got to feed the word. I've got to do this. I've got to do that, you know. That is my life. I tell people that, and Robert knows this, I think he discovered this now, you know. I don't think he understood it before. I would come down here to study. I don't get 30 minutes to study if I come down here. Something pastor, this thing, pastor that thing, pastor that thing. He's discovering it now himself. See. So I've got to make sure that I spend time preparing. And by the way, I don't know how people get up and just say something. I've been preaching now for the time, but I don't even know how, how a long time. And I have to labor as much with a sermon today as I labored 20 years ago. It takes just as much effort today as I did 20 years ago. Nothing has changed in terms of the work that has to put into preparing a sermon. Now, does that mean I can't get in and do a running commentary? Of course I can do that. But I can't do it with a good conscience. I mean, here you are working your day. GC up there doing his work at the state college. He got to study. And imagine, I, I don't have all of that. But then I got to come down. And then Sunday morning I come here. I don't have to tell you. That's been an embarrassment. But I'm saying to you, you are going to have to understand the word sacrifice. Time. Interest. And then what about your Priorities. Is godliness going to become a priority for you? What's your, tell me, tell me, let me ask you, in a list in your mind, what are your priorities today? Don't tell me, in your mind, what is, what is number one, what is number two, what's number three? Let me ask you a question, in your list of priorities, where does godliness come in? Where does the pursuit of godliness come in? Is it, is it any, as a matter, is it on your agenda? Is it on your events calendar? So you got to slot it in some place. Now where are you going to slot it? And that means you got to rearrange your priorities. One of the great difficult things to do. And could I say something else here? You may have to sacrifice a term of your resources. And let me explain what I mean. When we talk about studying the word. Now could I say to you that you need certain tools to study the word? I've seen a carpenter trying to use a, 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 a screwdriver as a, as a chisel already. He damaged the head of the, 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 the screwdriver and he, he botched the work he's doing. See? I've seen people use different means. Not, and you know, they're Christians who don't understand that you need certain tools to study. But to have these tools, you have to be willing to invest. You need a good concordance, for example. 
You gotta invest in a concordance. If you don't, you gotta have a good study Bible. That's an investment. So you're gonna have to do, if I really am serious about studying the word, I'm gonna have to have the tools. We'll come to that later. But you're gonna have to take some of your resources and deploy them in a different way than you've normally been doing them. And then I wanna say one last thing. You might have to sacrifice some sleep. I repeat, you might have to sacrifice some sleep. Pastor, I need more sleep. You don't, because I say, I need more sleep. But I'm telling you that you're going to have... Let me, let me... You see some of these kids in this room who go to school? See when an exam coming? They burn the midnight oil sometime from... Well, look, I, I, I'll give you a joke. When I was doing my uh, uh, Cambridge and, and, and London exams, the one subject I didn't like was history. But I decided to take history. And I kid you not, I kid you not, I study every subject except history. And then when I realized the exam was coming up, I'm not kidding you. I stayed up from one day, didn't sleep the other day, and took the exam the third day. Didn't sleep whatsoever and passed the exam. And get fancy grades, but it's a pass it. But you know what? What I'm saying to you, I was willing to sacrifice to say I got a paper. A piece of paper. I know it's worse these days. See? But listen, we're doing, we're in the pursuit of something that God says, this is what you need to pursue. And yet, what sacrifice? What sacrifice should we not be willing to, 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 to become more godly? So the key word there is going to be sacrifice. We need to do a cost-benefit analysis. And we got to decide if the benefits exceed the cost. And is godliness worth the effort that we have? I don't know if you've ever heard of the writer called Leo Tolstoy. But he made a statement that I think uh, kind of encapsulates the, 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 the problem we have. Uh, in this. He, you know what he said? Let me quote what he said. He said, everybody thinks of changing humanity. But nobody thinks of changing himself. That's true. We want the world. We want to change the world. But the actually way that we got to change. He said that is where the problem is. He went on to say it is either discipline or decadence. And I would like to say to you that this is one of the real problems we have uh, when it comes to Christians. Everybody looks at everybody else and says, you need to change. But nobody says, I will change. You know, it's like in a marriage. A marriage, you, gotta, you come to a block there where something has to be done. The husband says, you change. The wife says, you change. No, you change for it. You change. And what happens? Still block. Nothing happens. Because I will tell you this. In every situation where it involves people... Only one person has to change to change the matrix. But you know why that happens sometimes? Is it's, uh, the person who don't want to change first? Because when I change first, it's an admission. It affects my pride that I was the one wrong. So I am so bullheaded that I am not going to make any change because that is, I, I, you know, I, I'm saying to you that you're right. The other thing is that when we change, we fear that they'll take advantage of us. So we don't, we want to change, we're fearful. 
of that. And then of course, there's the contest of wills. Who is stronger? Who will give in first? And then the people who are very doubtful about the benefits if I change, is it going to have a significant impact? What is it, you know? So what happened to be in a situation where everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves? And I want to suggest to you that we need to understand the problem is not in our stars. The problem is not the person next to me. The problem is myself. I'm the problem. You're the problem. See, See it that way. Don't work on the other person. Work on yourself. See, Start pursuing godliness. Let him start pursuing godliness as well. As well. And then you have a real matrix for change in the church when that happens. Now, so the problem we have is the problem of motivating. Because I believe that it's the collective sense that there needs to be a wholesale change in the church. And a wholesale change in the individual's life. I think that's the collective opinion that most people have. It's how we achieve that, how we motivate people to do that. And that brings me to the sermon. <laughs> now, this is where I, no, I'm serious. I want to talk about the problems. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I want to know the problems of discipline. And uh, I have here um, six problems that we face in this matter. Okay? Um, I'm just going to cover one or two and I'll fix it. The next time I'm not I'm just going to do the problems, uh, I'm going to talk about the the power of discipline in a person's life. Uh, we'll deal with that. And then we'll talk about the perils of discipline as well. We'll talk about that. But I just want to talk about some of the problems we have motivating people. Let me mention one or two quickly. Number one, I, I think one of the problems we have with people is, is what I call a false belief about this whole matter. And when I say that, I mean there are people who believe that the disciplines that we are talking about is beyond the reach of the ordinary Christian. And it's the reserve of some elitist spiritual group in the church. And they think, you know, pastor, that is for so That may be for a deacon. That may be for a Sunday school teacher. But that's not for me. In other words, pastor, this is for the person who has a contemplative mind. This is for the prayer warriors in the church. This is for those who have are full-time involved in Christian ministry. But this is not for me. But to the contrary... God intends these disciplines to be for the every believer, the most ordinary Christian. In other words, it's for people who are engaged in regular jobs. It's for moms and dads who have to take care of children. It's for people who are uh, who are have to do washing dishes and and who have to mow the lawns. It's for carpenters, it's for masons, it's for nurses, it's for everybody. So the idea that this is a special thing for an elite group. There's no elite group in this church. We are Christians, we have the same God, the same spirit. We have the same Christ. And we have the same Bible. That commands and gives all of us the same imperative. That we must exercise ourselves to godliness. And by the way, could I say to you that this transformational effect that we will have as a result of the pursuit of godliness. Is something that needs to be felt in the ordinary relationships of life. 
It needs to be seen in the marriage. It needs to be seen in, in, in the home, in the workplace. It needs to be seen on the playing field. It needs to be seen in the marketplace. It needs to be seen in the school. It needs to be seen in the neighborhood. It needs to be seen in the boardroom. Every aspect, every facet of life, this godliness is supposed to impact. So it's not just for an elite group, it's for everybody. But once you have that mindset that this is not for me, this is for so and so, and we've got to know money who that is for. That mental barrier in itself is a hindrance to you exercising discipline in the pursuit of God. Let me give you a second problem we have in, in, in dealing with. The other is the fear of boredom. When we talk about the pursuit of godliness, people equate godliness with boredom. One person put it this way. One author puts it away. He said that there are some Christians who view these disciplines as a form of dull drudgery aimed at exterminating laughter from the earth. The fact is, that these disciplines are about liberation and victory. These disciplines are about you coming out and living in the realm of misery because you live in so much indulgence and you, you're miserable because you know there's something better for you as a Christian. Coming out of that misery of getting up every morning saying to yourself, oh, I have to do better today. I'm going through all day knowing that you are not what you're supposed to be. You're no closer to God today as you were yesterday. And it's even getting worse. And guess what? You carry a tremendous amount of guilt about that. So these days are liberating you and freeing you up from self-indulgence. The tyranny of defeat. These are things that would liberate you from that tyranny of defeat. So we're not talking about boredom here. We're talking about joy. We're talking about peace. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about conquest. We're talking about putting your head on your pillow and being at peace and ease with God. Guess why? You knew him a little bit better today and you did strive to meet him and he met with you. And you had an encounter. So it's, it's different than putting your head on bed and saying, I wish I could be different this, this, uh, tonight. So that's the other thing that we have to, to just take out of people. We're not talking about something that's going to bore you. You're talking something to liberate you from your guilt and your frustration and your defeat. To put some spark back into your life that you have a real encounter with God. And you begin to know his peace and his joy that the Bible talks about. And then, uh, let, me, let me mention one last one and then I'll finish with this. Number three. The other problem we have when we're dealing with this is what I call the pervasive Mindset of materialism that governs people's mind today. And what I mean by that is that the materialistic base of our age is so widespread. The pursuit of anything outside of the physical and the material and the economical is deemed irrational and illogical. We're so concerned about the pursuit of the material. That's the mindset. Things, more things. That's the mindset. It's not about the things above. Spiritual things. Everybody wants the world. Nobody can have it because everybody fighting for it. See? And that mindset 
is at odds with this matter of pursuing godliness. What I'm saying to you is a global prejudice against anything that is not physical. There's a global prejudice against anything that is spiritual. And we have got to overcome that mindset and understand that there are things beyond the material. There's the living spiritual God that we can have a real encounter with. So we need the courage to go beyond the prejudice of our age about the material. And we need to affirm and practice that there is such a thing as godliness as worth pursuing. And not allow the tug and the anchor of the material to keep us where we are. We've got to break that um, that it has upon us. And by the way, could I say something else? We must avoid the subtle insidious tendency of judging people's success and people's importance and people's worth by the flashiness of the new car, by the size of the house that they have, see, by the kind of cut of clothing that they use, by the size of their paycheck. We've got to understand that we've got to change how we see people. We have, in other words, we have to have a whole new mindset. But one of the great barriers... Is this materialism that so dominates the modern mind that there's no attraction to saying to people, let's pursue God. Now, if you were to tell them, let's go after some real estate. Boy, you've got them there already. Especially if you can show them how to do that, they'll call you a Daniel. They'll praise you, worship you. They'll call you even a, 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 a Solomon. But you tell them to, let's pursue spiritual the spiritual uh, spirituality you have a, a real massive problem there so i think we need to see there's a glory and there's a beauty in holiness in godliness and we have to see that this is something that should attract us to it but we've got to get away from the material Now that is why you, Paul, if you look there quickly in, 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 in Timothy chapter 4 that we, we're supposed to be dealing with. Uh, this is why I think the Apostle Paul, in, in appealing to Timothy to rigorously pursue uh, godliness by discipline, he contrasts the spiritual with the non-spiritual, the physical with the non-physical. And notice what he says. He said that bodily exercise, profit of what? Little. But godliness is profitable at all things, having promised that this life now, now is and the life which is to come. The Apostle Paul is saying, godliness is far superior to the material and the physical. But I don't know, we don't see it that way. So that's the great battle that we face today. And then let me mention, since I don't want to come back to this, you have another problem called the failure of what I call practicality. You know what I mean by that? We have a terrible difficulty we face when we talk about pursuing godliness and holiness because we today lack the practical know-how how to do that. You realize that? For example, if you go to the Bible... You'll find that the Bible calls people to the discipline of fasting and meditating and prayer and self-examination to study the word, praise and worship, but they never tell you how to do it. 
Never tell you how to fast. Never. You know why that is so? Because those people didn't have to be taught. It was normal part of culture. Normal part of first century world. So we are puzzled when the Bible, how do you do that? But there's no instructions given in the Bible how to do it. Why? They didn't have to tell the people because that was something they were normally doing. And that's why I say we have the failure of practical. We don't know how to do these things because they're not part of our culture. They're not part of our church culture either. Almost no instruction is given in the Bible in respect to these things. For example, take fasting for just a moment. Nobody had to be told what you eat before fasting in the New Testament days. But you have to know what you eat before. If you're going to do fat, you had no, nobody had to be told how to break a fast. By the way, you don't just come up a fast and go and have a McDonald's, you know. Or Kentucky, you don't do that. You got to know how to, but nobody, there's no instruction about those things in the Bible. Why? Because people didn't have to be taught those things. They knew how to do it. We are infants. We are beginners in these areas. And nobody had to be told how to avoid dizziness when you're going to a fast. Because people knew that. In other words, most people knew these things. But that is not true of the church today. So when we begin to talk about meditation, when we begin to talk about self-examination, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to tell you how to do it. That's what we're going to have to do. When it comes to Bible, we have to tell you how to do it. Because the fine art of the practical way of doing these things are no longer common knowledge to the church. And so the task of dealing with these disciplines is that we need to give practical instructions of how we go about that. Fasting, etc. We've got to do that. And one last thing, because I not intend to come back to this. The other problem we got is what I call the fixation of personal habits that we have. Look, sin is not just singular acts you commit against God, you know. Sin is far more pervasive. It is like a disease that has completely gone into your whole system and gone into the members of your body. So that your, your members of your body have become enslaved to the sinful nature. So you think it's easy to pursue godliness? Absolutely not. That's why Paul uses the word gymnasio. It requires rigorous effort on the part of the believer. Because these ingrained habits fight against what we're trying to change. And that is one of the problems we have. If we could tell people you're not going to have the battle with the flesh, you're running the bandwagon. But if we say, listen, we're going to go to a real tremendous battle to break the cycle of bad habits. It is then that people don't want to pick up the challenge. By the way, if you read Romans chapter 7, you'll see that Paul understood this. In that chapter, Paul said he got a desire to do what is right, but he finds in his members another law, another principle at work in him, fighting against him. Now here's the Apostle Paul telling you his experience. Seasoned saint, no doubt about his redemption. Damascus experience, saw Christ, but yet he's struggling. 
the old man, the battle between the old man. And that is where this whole matter, the pursuit of godliness, one of the problems we have, this fixation of these personal habits that have become ingrained in us. How do we, how do we break that cycle, pastor? I'm addicted to the idiot box, pastor. I can't help myself. I, I cry. I beat myself. I even put it away for a while. I hide it. I even give it to my neighbor to keep it. But yeah, I go back for it. That's the challenge. And one last thing before I close. There are some of you sitting right here that you know what you're wondering. Pastor, I am so old. Here I am in my final phases of my life on planet earth. I have not been able to put these things in my life for 40 years, 50 years, 30 years. And you are telling me now, at my age, I can do this? I want to give you hope to tell you that it can be done. Let me show you something. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I'll close with this. And look at verse number 21 of Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot who? Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God when? When? After he got Methuselah. When did he get Methuselah? Huh? You're not too old. That's my point. You're not too old. Enoch came to the point in his life, 65 years without walking with God. His son is now born. And there's something about, and by the way, the, the word Methuselah means uh, when he dies, it comes. See? And at 65, the ingrained habit of not walking with God, he determined from 65 years, I will now start walking with God. And he walked with God for how many years? 300 and something. See? So don't tell me you're too old. You're 65? Vast majority of you here are not 65. You might be getting close there. But the point I'm making here, it is well within your capacity to start to bring about a real transformational change through the pursuit of godliness. Don't let age be a barrier and tell yourself, you know, you can't teach old dogs new tricks, but you're not a dog. You're a human being, okay? You're a human being. And take it from me. All things are possible with God. See? With God. See? He can help you. See? And could I say to you, if God is really stirring you to this challenge I'm talking about, to really stir your heart, it's because he is doing something in you. You know what Philippians says? Chapter, I think it's 2 verse 30. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do. He prods your will. And to do. Brings about action. See? You're not in this battle alone my brother. My sister. We have got God on our side. And the God of the Bible. Wants us. To pursue. Godliness. And with that. Imperative. 
comes his empowerment. He will work in your life. He will work on your will. He will move you to action. Don't ever forget the divine element. It's the human divine element in us. It's not just about I doing it. It's about I asking God to enable me to do it. And I work along with God as partners and co-laborers. God works in our lives. But God expects us to exert our humanity in doing what he has told us to do. If he has told us to do something, we can do it. And he facilitates that once we act in obedience to it. So I'm saying to those of you who might be a little bit discouraged. Pastor, this sounds like a tough one for me. At my age, I'm not ready for this kind of a battle right now. I want you to give me some kind of a canoe to fight down a river called peace. And uh, I just want to float all my way down to heaven right now. But right now you're talking about getting back and put on the warfare and putting on this thing and go to war. I said, sir, your war will only end when you end in the grave, see. The day of your joy is coming when you are with Christ. Always remember that. This is our battleground. This is our wilderness. This is not heaven for us. We're going to have all kinds of problems now. That's what he never. In, that's what. Listen. What the problem with us is that we really don't understand what this thing is all about. And we want so much ease. We want peace. We see the ungodly man enjoying himself. We're saying, but God, why do you struggle for me all this time? Because he got all he will ever have. Let the idiot enjoy them now. Let the fool enjoy it now. See? It's all he got. He got nothing to look forward to. Ours is coming. Amen. And listen to me. 70 years down here is nothing to compare with eternity with him. See? See? So I am saying to you, let's engage in this struggle. And let's solicit the help of God. To pursue godliness. Don't be discouraged here. There is hope for you. Don't let age be a barrier. The other thing I was going to say to this morning. You know that. When did Moses start delivering the people of Egypt. Out of Egypt. How old was he? 80 years old. When did Caleb say. Give me this mountain. 85 years old. You're not too old brother. Anybody here 80? Anybody here 90? Hmm? I don't think so. Maybe getting close there. Well, let's 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 pursue our this matter. Let's pray, Father. Help us this morning as we gather these words of wisdom from your word and uh, motivate us, stimulate our interests. Help us not to be frustrated and to give up. And to allow our whole disposition to be poisoned because of what the enemy tells us about our age or any other factor. Thank you at this time in our history that you're calling us back to the pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of godliness. Lord, it's an adventure and a journey as a church we like to take together. And we need you to come with us and assist us as we pursue godliness. Help that as a church we would reflect on what we've heard this morning. And Lord, we'll try to get our bearings and to guard at the loins of our minds to prepare ourselves for the great trek that's ahead of us as we pursue our God. Holiness and godliness. It's going to require effort, serious effort on our part. 
But I ask you this morning that we will see it will be worth it all. The cost and the price we pay are nothing to compare with the benefits we shall reap. Freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from the misery of knowing that we're not what we're supposed to be. Freedom of being burdened our self-indulgent life and then can come to the point of victory where we're actually in control of the situation and not the situation controlling us. Where we learn to give up and, and sacrifice in the pursuit of something even nobler. And the joy of just doing right and knowing that we are pleasing to God. There's no greater joy than this. Help us therefore to see the glory of holiness, the beauty of godliness, and give us a passion to pursue it with every bit of energy within ourselves, depending upon you while we together pursue this venture. Lord, for that person here this morning who is not a Christian, and who has absolutely no idea what we're talking about. And who has perhaps in their mind, in their spirits, have considered what was said this morning really a waste of useful time. Oh, blessed spirit, as only you can do, convict that person of the shallowness of their lives and the importance of knowing God. Bring them to the point of realizing what is truly important in life. And may there be a turning point where they too will join us by putting their faith and trust in Christ and together making this journey with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of these people who sat and listened. Now, Lord, may your spirit do the work that I cannot do. That in the week to come, days to come he would bring to their minds the truth of your word and incline their hearts towards you we pray these things in Christ's name Amen Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the possible perils of self-discipline If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church please call 268 462 4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.